0: Hey, this is your General speaking, uh, the day after we recorded two weeks' worth of Poets at War. I am trying to get these things together and all scheduled and stuff before the G3 conference where I will be working. And as a result, I do not have a whole lot of time to make all the fancy graphics and everything else that's going on. And these are going to be very basic screen recording podcasts visually. I am going to try and put in all the audio stuff You guys know the drill, seven and a half, probably eight minutes in, whatever the case may be is when the podcast starts, after the uh, long intro, and uh, let's get into it. This is Poets at War.
1: Once, there were four children, whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund,
2: and Lucy. Suppose I'm writing a knock. I write, Mary laid down her book, next moment came a knock at the door. For Mary, who has got to live in the imaginary time of the story, there's no interval between putting down the book and hearing the knock. But I, her creator, between writing the first part of that sentence and the second, may have gone out for an hour's walk and spent the whole hour thinking about Mary.
3: We make things by the law in which we are made. We create
4: because we are created.
1: In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit.
4: One ring
5: to rule them all, one ring to
4: find them, one ring to bring them all, and the darkness bind them.
1: Tolkien and Lewis, both in their way, lifted me out of this world to show me a thundering beauty. And when I read the last sentence and came tumbling back to earth, I could still hear the peal. I hear it to this day. God allowed those stories to lift the veil on the imaginary world to show me the real world behind it, which ended up being, in the end, the one I was already in. The real world, at least in part, isn't out there somewhere, nor is it in my mind. It's here, right under my feet, all around me. Tolkien and Lewis held the fabric of Narnia or Middle-earth in one hand and clutched our world in the other, building a bridge across which we could set out for perilous realms and yet return safely with some of the beauty we found there.
0: My first and last philosophy, that which I believe in with unbroken certainty, I learnt in the nursery. I generally learnt it from a nurse, that is from the Solomon Star-appointed priestess at once of democracy and tradition. The things I believed most then, the things I believe most now, are the things called
6: fairy tales. We live in a moment that's unlike any other moment, a moment of bizarre tyranny, a moment of overreach.
7: I was nearly torn apart by a crazy <gasps> doctor.
6: The moment of fear. It's like, and how are we living? How are we standing up in this moment?
7: I was made asleep by a bunch of mangy pirates. Oops.
6: Are we full of joy? Like, are we characters who are full of joy and unafraid? And
7: eaten. Got that? Eaten by a fire-breathing dragon. And that's a bitch of me. tossed, squashed, and scared practically to death.
6: It's like, how do we image god in this particular narrative in which we've been placed in this chapter and we get trained for that by reading about sam and frodo and aragorn and gandalf and reading you know charlotte's web and animal farm and reading about prince caspian like when you're little you read those things and you read stories when you're older and it reinforces what is the courageous action of the character in this moment yet you stand before me
7: well yeah.
6: Think, boy. What kind of an adventure would you have had if I brought you here with a turn of the page? I wept
0: bitterly, and then I said to myself, when everything happens quite miserably, then he sends help. I have always read so. People must first of all suffer a great deal before they can bring anything to accomplishment.
2: God, who at various times And in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, redemption of our body.
0: Freddie morales author of mercy in motion and uh let's go ahead and get into that it was a really fun talk but, uh, it,
4: and i just want to say yeah. thank you for reading really thank you for reading the book yeah that's uh, just very kind of you to do that well you're so thank you
0: you're the uh first person that's ever wanted to send me something so i'm like yeah of course <laughs> you know what i mean i'm like yes please i don't even if it's not a good book, the fact is you sent me something. Right. Like, I'm going to accept it, right, you know exactly. what I mean? So, um, but uh, the, uh, the title was one of the things that, like, I think I kind of know where you're going with it, but I'm not sure. And I wanted to ask you about that first with the title because titles are one of those weird things where um, – you can impress has dealt with this. A bunch of other people have dealt with this where it's like, especially for nonfiction, if it's not snappy enough, people go crazy, right, right. you know, but like at the same time, this is your first book. You're probably not even looking to like do a whole lot with it necessarily other than get it out. So like, what, what was the point of the title?
4: Right. And I guess I should tell you, so this work, um, originally it started as a larger, uh, not large, say larger book. It was like a 150 page book. Okay. And I called it, um, it was called a uh, misrepresentation, the misglorification of the first-person storyteller, and the appropriation of God. Nice. <laughs>
0: I love that you have that memorized.
4: Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it was it was just like a big thing for me. And mm-hmm. so, anyways, uh, long story short, I was. There was What you're reading is the first part of that that bigger book, and I took out the other part because I just wasn't. I felt it wasn't concise enough. It right. wasn't it just felt like two different books basically and right it, and it needed uh more shortening down so i didn't want to use that title for this book and so what stood out for me with mercy in motion was um i think if i could break it down to a passage um and this is this is only half of it but romans 9 uh the the tail end of romans 9 where he says um uh, let me read it kind of sure why me. not go Butch, for it but butcher it right that's all uh, good. Let's see. He goes, uh, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. Now that's half the story, right? You could, you could lay put that under, if it's something's common grace, you could put that under saving grace. Right. Um, but there is, I thought, or I felt that there's mercy in common grace, right? God's sustaining grace His showing these richness and beauty that, we see daily Mm -hmm. in unbelievers and believers so i felt that that was an appropriate title mercy and motion Mm -hmm. just because even if you're not a christian you get you get to be a part of that mercy right you know in that sense um now yeah so but the emotion not the saving sense
0: was themed closely to all the movie quotes too maybe i say that again i was thinking that the the uh, motion part could have been themed to all the movie quotes too
4: Right, right. So there, there is a tie-in for for cinema for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, like I said early on in my life, I didn't really, I didn't read a lot of books, and right. it's just just the world I grew up in. It just uh, well it's still literature now...
0: that's the thing like people right. people don't think of it as literature but especially the films that you're referencing well i'm not the hugest fan of cinema that takes itself too seriously and uses words like cinema right. <laughs> i'm more right. in the, i'm more in the animation uh side of things you know and 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 i'm interested in i mean if you look at the kind of literature i'm interested in on the surface like fairy tales and stuff right. i'm more into right. generally like crafting stuff that is timeless kids family entertainment versus like the more heady dramas and things of that nature though i do like those too um right but yeah let's we'll get back to that in just a second i we got people listening and i just want to talk with you but i guess you should probably introduce yourself a little bit you know just who you are and why you're here and that sort of a thing just so that we have
4: that going for us oh no definitely and as you said you're i'm the first person to send you a book. Uh, you're the first person to interview me. Right. So there you go. <laughs> if I, there you go perfect. Um, so I, I guess, well, my name is Freddie Morales. Um, I live in Houston, Texas. I'm married uh, 14 years. Yes. 14 years. And then i um, married uh And then I have one child. Isabella. She's uh, going to be two on Friday. So I'm really excited about that. Um, Pretty much born in los angeles raised in in houston um and then i got i got saved when i went back to california and so i've been walking with the lord for about 20 years now fantastic this was in 2003 so
0: yeah short and sweet you were saying something like uh I, you can come to me for advice on kids well you you've got me beat by quite a bit for marriage we've been married for probably <laughs> for about six almost seven years um so yeah but uh time too, yeah. but yeah i mean yeah it's about half of what you got so but uh <laughs> yeah so um you go into your uh conversion briefly but do you want to give a more like semi-complete testimony or do we want to move forward yeah, i mean or it that has to come do with out
4: with we do? so yeah yeah go ahead yeah so so, so when i was 12, 19 going on 20 i think i moved back to los angeles um and i wanted to be an actor Right? Mm-hmm. So film had film had such an effect on me that I didn't know what else to do with my life. That's what I wanted to make movies. Right. So I did that whole thing. I was there for two years. And I lived in my car for two years. Um, just, that was a life that I wanted, but the beginning part of going to California, uh, I was, was working at IHOP, I believe. And there was a group of college students. Um, And, you know, I just, talk to them, try to take their order. And of course, good. They were Christians. So they, uh, they invited me to go to their church. And at that point, um, I didn't really want anything to do with religion because I didn't grow up in a religious home. So, but I thought, what the heck, you know, I'll just go anyways. So I did. And then through a series of events, God was just opening doors left and right for me in terms of seeing him as Jesus as God. So I ended up going to one of the services Uh, they had, I think they had an altar call and I can't remember if I went up to the front or not, but uh, I ended up giving my life to Christ then and there. And um, through another series of events, moved back to Texas uh, to help my family out. And I've been here ever since. So that was in 2005 that I left California. So I was there for two years, 2003 to 2005. I had some success making some films, nothing you would know about uh, the stuff that like horror films and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but nothing that I'm really proud of, but I got gotcha. you.
0: I got gotcha. you. Well, Hey, it's a, you're making film, you know, that's, that's still working. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, um, exactly. I'm, I'm always uh, happy with people who are actually doing it, actually making something happen. So, um, but the, the thing that, um, intrigued me uh beyond just our few interactions we had before you sent me the book um was uh you know you're you're a uh reform guy you know i've seen you around on some social media stuff you uh mentioned that you'd seen some of poets at war before and you know kind of what i do in that space at least in my nonfiction space um so you were you, you definitely like you know, probably have heard some stuff about Nate Wilson, maybe uh, you know, the the Ch- uh, Knox Unplugged, you know, that kind of podcast and things of that nature. So this is kind of that Lewisy Tolkieny space <laughs> that we all kind of inhabit. A lot of people say Chesterton, but Chesterton, yeah, he's he's the nonfiction end of this, even though he wrote some fiction and whatever else. Um, but yeah, it's just it's interesting to me, and 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 you said it's kind of written in that vein, which it is. And um, I, I guess um, you know, for people who are interested in in what this book is about, how would you pitch it?
4: I think for, for this book, it's it's mainly a, a book about bringing in you into God's grace and His right. mercy toward us, and within the scope of everything that we see that can be called good, that's truly good, and I think that's what's missed. And like part of the reason I wrote the book, if I can go into that, sure, was like I was one of those people that when I found out God was absolutely sovereign, I was angry. I didn't mm. I didn't like it at all. It just it was because I I thought I was the good guy doing good things, helping his family out, and there was, I I didn't understand the fullness of it, you know. So when all I heard when some when um through a lot of John Piper's preaching and stuff like that that God was completely sovereign. All I heard was that, wait, we're puppets, right? That's all I could hear. But what I didn't understand is I didn't have a category of worship for a God who is sovereign. I didn't have a category of worship for the God of common grace. I didn't, I didn't want to worship that. And I think that that's what it distilled to, right? I wanted to worship that. I was this good guy doing really good things. And I, and I felt doing, I felt good doing those things. Um, but there was, um, there was so much more going on that I didn't know. So now I have new categories of worship for this God that allows me to do these beautiful things, allows me to love my wife, uh, allow us to have firemen, policemen, right. um, You know, all these good, beautiful things that we have. So and in know, fast his, forward.
0: Well, and in his sovereign mm-hmm. plan, what we do actually matters
2: that Amen. was something you don't Amen. go
0: a whole lot into the book on um because you're you're pointing right. out more the the focus of 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 like this this god is this big and he really is all in all and that's that's exactly. awesome and wonderful but i think that was probably the thing that actually changed your um like dislike relationship with the truth is that exactly is that what we do actually does matter in both in failings exactly. and winnings you know because god is sovereign so but yeah exactly. go 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 ahead continue i didn't want to interrupt you too much but i just had to no, point no, no, that no. out yeah
4: absolutely yeah and i think and, and i'm gonna get to the point with uh not just why i wrote it but like what it's about yeah and it happened in these last five years is that I basically saw that what, what became more clear to me is that we have an appropriation issue, but we have an appropriation of God's goodness. Yeah. And you saw that really clearly the last five years. And I just, it just started like, I wasn't going to write a book. I didn't care to write a book. You know, I'm a nobody. I just, it, but the more I saw that I was like, well, we're appropriating his goodness and we're claiming it as our own. So I was like, no. So what this book is about is it has, it's an an apolog i would i would frame it as an apologetic book about common god's common grace and his justice mm-hmm. and that's what I juxtapose together common grace and god's justice mm-hmm. and i use i use film and i use film quotes and a synopsis of film to get us to the point to understand that that he is the he's the ultimate good in what we see and it's right. not us and and hopefully uh, someone reading the book. Uh, God would open their hearts and minds to receive that and to see that it's a good thing. Um, And if you go through an avenue like like I did where I was angry, there's hope because I'm no longer angry. I have. I love it. I love it now that he's is absolutely sovereign. I love that he's good. Um, So, yeah. And there's purpose in it.
0: And there's there's not only purpose, but there's there's a uh, lack of risk and worry, <laughs> you Amen. know, um, it's, Amen. it's not Amen. that there is no risk. We still have to make choices. We still have to do, you know, be responsible for God for our choices. But at the same time, we know that God has the safety of never letting you go. If you're truly his, you know what I mean? Right. Um, Amen. And, and it's such a wonderful thing. I've had, uh, sort of a second wave in my life let, let go back into my background just slightly i'm, I'm a covenant child of presbyterian okay. origin i was raised uh in a, in a presbyterian household a lot of the children of my generation in my church that i grew up in have left the faith like a very very large amount oh. i'm talking 80 plus percent probably um Ouch. absolutely terrible and a lot of that had to do with some uh, things that were going on with the parents back, you know, the, 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 they they weren't they weren't enforcing what was going on in the pulpit, um, and things just got kind of crazy be- between parents, even, you know, and so it it just uh, was really crazy. But ultimately, um, I found myself being the guy who I tend to, I, I wouldn't say punch right as much as my punch left. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, I tend to punch right a fair amount, especially because I was raised in a very grammatical historical sort of context um mm-hmm. and I believe in that. don't get me wrong like I, I I believe in the value of that um but the thing that always seemed to be missing was if we believe God is sovereign over all things what does that look like in the corners (laughs) what does that look like in the dark places in the in the interesting you know california los angeles the movies etc how how does that work itself out and i think that a a lot of the reason this doesn't connect for people most of the time is because they don't have something that they love to make them understand it right Um, and, and, and that's definitely where you came in with your desires of, of filmmaking and some of the movies that really touched you. You had a rubric for that for my dad, who was a first generation Calvinist, um, not Christian, but Calvinist, um, he, um, (laughs) his thing was music and he's not a hundred percent sure that he was converted before his conversion to Calvinism. He was that way. Um,
4: oh, okay, okay. So,
0: so he was converted in college. He's passed away. He passed away in 2020. Um, okay. he, he had uh, uh, cancer stuff. He was fighting for years. But the, um, the the thing was, he was really, really into music. The same way I'm really, really into like stories and poetry, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he was the kid who his brothers. Uh, got emerson lake and palmer back in the 70s 60s 70s for like a record for a birthday or whatever and he would sneak into their room and put headphones on and listen to it (laughs) um he was transfixed by music and for his whole life he never really had an explanation for why and it was always associated with the post hippie movement of that period you know the the rock and roll and the music and whatever else and when this clicked like it sank through the sanctifying blanket back over you know all these rock yeah. and rollers who were you know getting high and doing drugs and whatever yeah. else and he was able to appreciate right. the art from god as opposed to right you know w- w- it's, like you said it's common grace so um but yeah i mean i i grew up in the context of having a dad who did that and read me narnia and lord of the rings and that's what i <laughs> fell in love Amen. with right yeah. and Seeing all my friends go off in different directions and do all their kinds of crazy stuff and whatever, the thing for me, what I'm usually punching right on this issue because right. I'm like, guys, you're you don't really love your systematic theologies in the same right. way as you love a film,
4: exactly, yeah.
0: <laughs> and they pretend that they do. <laughs> Right, 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 you know? right, right. And and so that's the thing it's like um I've heard I've heard my uh my pastor growing up he would say his biggest advice to seminary students is get a personality. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but that's so true, right? I mean mm-hmm. I think in the beginning of or at least for me I didn't I didn't grow up in a religious home so when I came to faith it was I had a similar thing you just start learning all these doctrines and and these big things about God and you don't you just don't know how to act, and you don't right. know um you know, out of be a, a, a godly, mature Christian who's just loves God's goodness in his creation and, and knows how to walk that way, right, right. yeah, so and, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, yeah. I mean,
0: I think you come out of a place where your life is so consumed by x, y, z, movies, drugs. Uh, uh stories even it doesn't matter what it is you come out of it where like you've built your whole personality already around a thing and now right. you're thinking okay not this thing this thing as opposed to no no no, no wait this thing actually unlocks everything right. else Good way of saying it. <laughs> so that you can actually uh you know you have as much as god allows you for time in this world um, right. and, and, and beyond that into eternity who knows we don't have the full picture of that right um, he hasn't right. given that to us um, but yeah I just it, it's it's such a funny thing because like I have my share of issues I have my share of any uh, issues just like anybody else but I was raised with this full understanding and I even had to punch right on my dad sometimes going you don't really believe that <laughs> you know things that get rough in the recession or whatever and i'd have to say no no right. you don't really believe that right and sometimes right. i have, i have to punch myself and say you don't really believe that right? right so so my my battle all the time is fighting with a a a stodgy <laughs> reformed idea that, that everything is a machine you know? right, it's rigid it's yeah. it's this rigid machine of life as opposed to uh god is actually calling me to bombadil my way through life <laughs>
4: <laughs> right and it, does it feel like like uh you know i don't know i'm 41 i'm forty. When am i 41 now i'm 41 but it feels like things are changing in our world with like I think Christians are waking up to story in this way. And I, and I know that I told you, I've, I found you through your interview with Jason Farley Mm -hmm. and um, like, I really enjoy hearing him, right. Whether some people agree with him or not. I enjoy hearing with him because this is the kind of stuff we've all thought of, but we, we don't either verbalize it as him or verbalize it as yourself, how how you do it so well. Thank Um, you. No, definitely. And it's just, we need more people speaking that way, more Christians speaking that way, because these are true things that are, that are happening and you know that's it's not this rigid, you know, you know Calvinistic thought, reformed thought. It's just not you know. It's it, there's some there's life there. You know there's life in Christ that uh we need to live out. And so that's why I'm, I love hearing him speak. Yeah, you know, on things like that with Knox. And, yeah, he's great. And yourself, so oh, thank yeah. you, thank you.
0: So, um, yeah, I really like this book because it was um. It was very personal for you. I could right. I could tell who you were through reading this. Um, I think the strength of it is that. Um, hmm. I think that um, that is something that you could even lean more into if you were open to sharing more of your story. Um, I yeah. think it would be something that would be very beneficial to the reader because they can, you know, at least take it as a memoir, you know, in that way, If even if they disagree with it. Um, right. And people get connected with people. That's just that's the way we're created. You know what I mean? So right. Exactly. Like, um, don't be afraid to have someone read your story and be inspired by it, even if they get inspired wrong, because we have a sovereign right. God and it won't be wrong. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um But like. I, I think I wanted to go into specifically who this is for. Um and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that before I go into it a little bit more. Yeah. Just, just tell me what you think first, and then I'm going to bring in what I thought throughout.
4: Right. And you said that, sorry, I cut off a little bit. You said who this is for, right? Yes. Yes. Right. Um, now I think I should preface this with this is not something ultimately, once you get deep in the book, this is not something people like to hear. Right. Right. That God is good. You're not right. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a good banner, right? It's a good, yes. it's a good, it's a, it's a, good it's a hot prayer, take it's, and a tweet. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But the more you get into it, the more it's telling you, God is the only one that's good, right? Right. So this, if I say this is for everybody, I don't want it to sound like that's a cop out, but really, it's it it's it, I just think it fits with this generation, this this me generation, you know this. I'm this good person doing these good things. And I set the standard of truth, um, you know, and it's, it's usually this standard that they've, they have fixed for themselves of what is good and what's not good. Right. So this is a book for everyone that's telling everyone, you know, God is the one that's good, you know, right. and hopefully I lay out those arguments, you know, with the movie quotes and that, but it's, it's for everyone. It is an evangelistic book, you know, so it's, it's yes, it's geared toward non believers and um you know that's what it's it's called Mercy in Motion and and I, I took the other title away that I that I told you about earlier, but right um I feel like that's that's a better title to, to get us into what it's supposed to be, to, to look at God and and saying, God, thank you for your mercy in these ways you've dealt with us. Right um Yeah, but so yeah, it's I it's I don't want to say it's a cop out to say it's for everyone. It is an evangelistic right. book, so geared toward unbelievers but i say too for the believer that that's struggling with is to to now have a new category of worship you know, sure it's it's nice you know and yes yeah. but it's it, uh, understandably it's hard it's it's a hard topic to go through right even though you think you wouldn't in the beginning right
0: yeah i think that that's that's the thing like you said you were in Los Angeles, then Houston, then Los Angeles. You obviously probably encountered a lot more of Christian culture in Houston, I would guess, uh, depending on when you yeah. grew up. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. For someone who was in Los Angeles their entire life, they may or may not be understanding what you're laying down when the Christianese area. Right. And that that was right. that, that was my only like overall critique of this whole thing is like if this is for like believers, it's gonna have to be Christ haunted uh un- unbelievers you know they're, they've they already right. they've already had uh uh they, they've i i live in augusta georgia so very much bible belt oh, yeah. territory and so like there's literally no one here anywhere near here that hasn't heard some perverted version of the gospel at the very least you know what i'm saying like it's not that they that's that's different than someone who's like well i was raised around christians or raised catholic or whatever like that's that's different than even that they have some kind of gospel whether it's the gospel or not right yes or 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 at least with the idea of a gospel they can't like they, they know that there is good news They might be confused as to what that is, but they know that there's good news and they know that there's a way to be right with God, whether they're right about that way or not. And so the point is like, this would be great over in my neck of the woods. You know what I'm saying? Like it would be really, really great over in my neck of the woods. Um, The, the thing that I think really knocks at home is the strong, hard tie to Calvinistic understanding and thought um you should definitely read notes from the tilt world i know you said you hadn't yet but um when you get
7: a yeah, chance no,
4: i had it and actually it made me a drug remember so i had it um and then i've i was trying to think of if if i read it or looked at it because i'm the guy who buys the books and doesn't read them right <laughs> But i think i remember feeling at the end of that book i was just uh in in a, in a good way i was like oh that's different right but i don't remember any of it i just remember <laughs> i remember going that's different yes and and I, but at that time I also thought Andy Wilson was Doug Wilson's brother. That's how much I didn't know. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No, no not
0: but, anymore. but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. well where can people buy the book, find the book, et cetera. I'm going to link it regardless and, uh, go ahead, plug away anything else you want to Freddie and we'll move into just talking, uh, for a few minutes and go from there.
4: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's on Amazon mm-hmm. right now. It's, it's the only one that would take me mercy in Motion, uh,
0: freddie morales mercy
4: in motion yeah mercy in motion freddie morales just plug it in on amazon mercy in motion book and you'll find it mm-hmm. buy lots of copies and buy it for your friend as i said um my daughter's birthday is coming up so yep absolutely guys i'm telling you to
0: buy it. it it's it's a it's not, not a super long book it's really really good if you want a good simple apologetic situation for that um i i highly recommend grabbing a copy um Anyway, everybody, be your family's bard. Do not turn to the right or to the left, and the Lord will be with you wherever you go. Stay tuned for more on Poets at War. Attention, all Christian writers and creative peoples. Are you searching for a place to share your work and receive encouragement from fellow wordsmiths? Look no further than the brute cast, inspired by the legendary inklings of old, a group of writers who banded together during the Second Great War. The Broodcast is your monthly gathering for inspiration, fellowship, and critique. Join us as we share our stories and support our fellow soldiers on our creative missions. Enlist in the Broodcast community today at joshuadavidling.com slash brood. Travel cyberspace. Serve the greatest cause. Join the ranks of the Brood today. Imagine if you had everything Tolkien ever wrote. Well, you can't have his, but you can have mine. The Ling Lyricanium is $10 a month and you can find it at joshuadavidling.com LL. That's joshuadavidling.com LL.
1: I'm Ian Wilson and I create graphic art using primarily traditional methods, supplementing with digital where it's needed. I use a real pen, a real paper, a real graphite to make my art. I like to feel my art. I've always been this way. I love the feeling of a pen or pencil in my hand, the sound of graphite scratching paper, and I love the sight of a nice black line making its way across the page. So why choose traditional art over digital? Traditional art has an organic, natural quality that seems to be missing from most digital illustrations. The illustrated books and comics that were made in the days before digital have an excellence and staying power. That is just as vibrant now as it was decades ago. These are the stories that stay with you Dr. Seuss, Winnie the Pooh, and Where the Wild Things Are. People still read these. I'm currently working on my own graphic novel series, Legend of the Swordbearer, and I've also had the privilege to draw graphics for two motion comic series, along with illustrations for a small magazine, Logosophia Magazine, and various book covers. Don't let traditional art fade into the dust. Help me keep it alive. You won't regret it. Visit my website at ianthomaswilson.com for more info.
0: Since you brought so up <laughs> Since you brought up this uh, topic, Brendan, do you want to launch us off with uh, I don't know, maybe one of your famous rants because it feels like something you want to rant about.
3: And you I haven't not, ranted well, in a while. Yeah, it's true. I have I haven't. I haven't. I've been trying to show restraint. Um but uh rat, no, rat, what the heck rat. is with us turning villains into good guys? Mm-hmm. Um Okay, so uh, to be fair, I think everybody loves a good redemption story. I think mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. sort of a um something that if we want to get theological right off the bat, it's something that every human soul wants to feel because we all understand that we are not as we should be. We all understand that, like unless we are actually pathological narcissists or someone is actually a pathological narcissist, they may not think this. We all know that sin exists. Maybe not in that many terms, but we know that sin exists. We're not as we should be, all that. So the idea of someone being so awful but then having them actually be good and understanding and stuff, uh, understandable and stuff like that. I don't think that's inherently wrong. And I don't necessarily mind that as a story element thing. The problem is when it's the only story element thing. Or if it's not the only one, when the only other option is, oh, look, men are evil.
0: Right. Well, there's, there's you know, a, like... right, right up front. I'd say there's a difference between a misunderstanding story where the villain is just misunderstood, mm-hmm. and they have no real fundamental change. Um, sure. And a story where they actually change and join the good guys in the fight that was right all along. Um, fundamental difference right. between the two. Um, I point it all back. To um, Obviously, there were ones before this. There was a lot of subversion going on before this. But I point it back to the book, not the play, even though the play made it famous. Wicked. I point mm-hmm. back to mm-hmm. Wicked more than anything else. Yeah. Um, but anyway, continue. We'll, is... We can touch on Wicked if you want to or go back to what you were saying. Either way.
3: Well, w- Wicked is the start, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I'm not even thinking about the book. I didn't know there was a book. I'm yes. just thinking of the play. Wicked is the start because the fact that I didn't know there was a book until just now tells you how common the book is, but we all know the play. Everyone knows the play. And when you get that in the limelight, when you get that in the spotlight, that is, um, yeah, that's the thing. And so, and I also should say that, yeah, no, you're, you're right. There's a difference between misunderstood and redemption, actual redemption, where they do something wrong. They ask for forgiveness. Um, Zuko from Avatar, the last airbender, amazing redemption story amazing mm-hmm. now they also had three seasons of a show to do that so you've got a different format here than like a movie but
0: even though we I don't see go... him as much as a villain I'd put beauty and the beast in the same category
3: mm-hmm. you know sure yeah beast beast is a pseudo villain although he's not really but he's a pseudo villain right in a way he is an antagonist in a sense. Ooh. In that he opposes Bell, who is the protagonist, and so being an and he because he's a against her that automatically makes him an antagonist for a little bit. Then Bell changes, and he changes, and they right. both they they align, and so they're no longer protagonist antagonist. But like the, the 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 um just listing out recent movies: Joker, Cruella, um. The Maleficent, Maleficent 2, why are there two of them? I don't understand. Money! This makes no sense. <laughs> said, said Mr. Krabs. <laughs> okay, also. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, okay, Mr. Krabs, yes. Okay, but, uh, you know, uh, just like, the, yeah, those are the big obvious ones. But I'm, And I'm sure if we go digging, we can find more. But um, even in, like, I don't know. I just, it bothers me because... Like the 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 misunderstood element to me is just another tick along the lo- the same line of um in uh the greatest showman we mentioned um in the, the our brood chat, the fact that they decided to add in an LGBTQ anthem of this is me. Mm-hmm. This is me, this is who I am, you can't change me. I'm misunderstood. Mm-hmm. It's the same logic. It's this going in the same direction. And that's not helpful. We need there to be an actual evil that is evil. Because Mm -hmm. if we don't have an evil that is evil. Then. Like. I don't know. I think it's really bad for storytelling as a whole. Right. There Mm -hmm. are some stories you can get away with not having an evil character. That's fine. But. A bunch of people think that we're enlightened because we don't have Saurons cuz Sauron is not compelling. And it's like you're missing the point. <laughs> yeah, you know.
0: Well, if Sauron I, I if, argue... if, if
3: Sauron wasn't compelling,
0: it wouldn't be a good story. That's a Yeah, I was going to say I would argue that Sauron <laughs> is totally compelling. Right.
5: Sauron's like, compelling the, the because the fall of a Maiar to one of the Valar to one of the evil Valar.
0: Yes, that that's a good story. Right, but we don't even know that in the text of it itself of Lord of the Rings necessarily. As far as that's concerned, I think what we don't know about him is the thing that's particularly exciting. Um, and you can and and, and that takes framing and framing particularly good guys, and that's something I want to get into in a second. But like the um mm. the thing that uh. The two things that I'm constantly hearing are not good villains are Saurons and Mustache Twirlers. That's what people are always saying. Oh, this is just this is just dumb. But Mustache Twirlers are fun, man. I'm just they saying. are they are so fun, especially when you do them tongue in cheek, like Dudley do, right?
3: Uh, Snively Whiplash, you
0: know, like. But,
3: but, <laughs> but, yeah. but that's that's. It. That's the other thing. There's another trope known as, pardon the language, known as the Glorious Bastard. Mm -hmm. The Glorious Bastard is a mustache twirler. Right. But Mm -hmm. they're a mustache twirler that they would argue is done well. Right. Um, Do you know what the Glorious Bastard is? Explain it a little
0: bit. Yeah.
3: Yeah, explain it. So the Glorious Bastard is an antagonist in stories who has such charisma and such Mm -hmm. presence that when they reveal their dastardly plan, the audience member can't help but yell, you glorious bastard! That is the. That, logic that's what the I fig-
5: think That's what I figured uh, that you meant whenever you said that. Yeah. But yeah, that's they're great
3: villains. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Um, and yeah, there's a there's a whole bunch of things for the trope, but that's that's not the 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 point. Um, I I think that everyone. Oh, gosh, everyone talks about like they want their villains to be believable is sort of, I think, where the not the mustache twirl because no one really twirls a mustache, just like no one really actually strokes their beard. <laughs> I I hmm. honestly that that's a joke on me, because I used to think, oh, s actually strokes their beard that that's just a thing people do in like movies and stuff. Mm. And then I found nope. myself actually stroking everybody my beard. does it. <laughs> <laughs> It's very calming. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, I like Mr. Freeze from Batman as much as the next guy, but you can't have every villain be Mr. Freeze, is what it boils down to. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, And regardless, even in the Batman comics, just because Mr. Freeze is understandable doesn't mean that his actions are justified. Mm Mm-hmm. And while it's a question on whether or not, like some of these movies, the um, main characters' are, actions are justified, like Maleficent or you know whatever, like it's not a it's not a guarantee. Like, I don't I don't necessarily think that if we, you know you could go through a movie and go, oh, this movie is telling their story, but it's not necessarily justifying their actions. Mm-hmm. Yes, but it's harder. To pull that off when they're the main character. And I'm not sure that necessarily gets through all the time. Cruella. Mm -hmm. She's insane. Um, Joker. He's insane. Um, Arcane. Show by on Netflix. It has its problems. But it's really well written. And the villains. Just because you understand them. Doesn't mean that they're necessarily justified. You do feel heartbroken for them yeah Uh, because it's literally sort of like there's a past trauma and that past trauma past trauma is how people would describe it and that past trauma is what's like cascading and constantly haunting them and forcing and not forcing it's the reason why they make the decisions right right um Mm -hmm. and it's and it is the first season is literally a a tragedy the story is a tragedy and so it's like okay we're fine with this. Right. You know, I know what it, this is. It is a tragedy and so you're allowed to have tragic characters in it. You know But who... the villains are still villainous. Right. They're still bad and what they're doing isn't a good thing and the main villain is not painted in a good light just because even though he says to one of the main characters that he loved her, right. you know. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't justify him.
0: So yeah, speaking in those terms, the the best example of this, what we're talking about, and really he combines kind of all three of the different misunderstood villains that we've talked about so far. The misunderstood where it's kind of like, you're flirting with making him noble, um, whether you cross that line or not, Um, the the inglorious bastard and um, the tragedy, and that would be Dr. Horrible from Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog. Good yeah. gracious, they do a good job. Are you unfamiliar with this, Alex? You're gonna Not have to watch that it all. soon. It was uh, after the, on the previously large long riders' strike in the 2000s. Um, there was a uh, oh, I know uh, the previous one. Yes. Uh, Joss Whedon got a whole bunch of his people together to create a 45-minute independent film about the origin of a supervillain, uh, Neil Patrick Harris, and it's a musical, and Neil Patrick Harris plays um, uh, Dr. Horrible, and Nathan Fillion plays his uh, good guy. This is before Megamind, but it's similar to Megamind in, in plot. Um, but they do a fantastic job of making this guy like likable, And then uh, making him an inglorious bastard and then making him a tragedy Uh, in those three. Those are basically the three, the the act one, two, three of the whole thing. And good gracious, they do a good job because he actually ends up evil. (laughs) You know, Um, and it's more of a tragedy because we saw the misunderstood kid at the beginning. Um mm-hmm. so there's a place for the misunderstanding factoring into who they are there always mm-hmm, is sure. but you cannot blame the misunderstanding on their stepping over the line
3: Right that's yeah, the biggest thing And you can't be a, in a scenario where you're like oh I'm cast out from society therefore I this that's why I'm acting the way I am and so I'm actually a good guy Right which is where I think Maleficent trips. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Um, And we can... I I saw somewhere that there is an uh, allegory for... um, There's like a rape allegory in the Maleficent somewhere uh, when she loses her wings. Um, It's... It's a thing. But uh, um, even still, that doesn't justify your actions. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, it's like... Whether or not that's actually the case, I don't want to. I don't want to argue it. It's not even my point of view. Freud, but, F- um, Freudian
0: philosophy gets into everything, and it's gross. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, it's
3: annoying, but yeah, the the idea that that you trusted someone and then they take something precious away from you um, overnight. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I can see how that. Can lie but yeah it doesn't have to we don't have to turn mm. it into everything like you said it gets into everything and it's gross but regardless the point still is like just because someone does something bad to you doesn't justify you know it's like revenge stories right um Alex
0: why don't you jump in on this you've been yeah. you've, you've been uh, sniping but you haven't really kind of made any volleys yet what what do you, what do you got for us on this topic
3: give us some yeah. volley
0: well
5: hmm. oh. First of all, uh, getting—I uh, looked up the Wicked book. It came out in 1995. Yep. It's older than I am. Yep. By like a fair bit. I didn't realize it was that old. hmm Um.
0: But as far as the
3: boy, it, I was born in '92. What are you calling old?
0: I was born in '89.
3: <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Okay. Sorry, I'm a techie. <laughs> I'm a techie. Okay. <laughs> Whenever I think of
5: created things, like oh, things that humans okay, have okay. created, mm-hmm. 95 yeah. is pretty far back there. 95 was three years before the iMac. So that's that's old for the type of realms that I go in. As far as humans go, okay. you're not old until you're 70. There you go. Um, yeah. But as far as the redeemable villains or the the type of story that you're telling, i brought it up several times. I'll probably bring it up a lot more. The Land of Stories is a fantastic, it is a really, really great series uh, written by Chris Colfer, uh, who is famous from his role on Glee, but don't hold that against the books. Um, He tells in the first two books, uh, the first one's called The Wishing Spell, the second one is called The Enchantress Returns. uh, Basically, the continuation of the story of primarily Snow White and then Sleeping Beauty. The first one focuses on Snow White, or kind of on Snow White. She's the uh, the evil queen, is the main villain uh, of that book. And she is kind of done the redeemable villain type thing. It, it goes through, shows her tragic backstory, all that type of stuff. And she ends the book uh, getting her comeuppance. Like, she actually legitimately uh gets punished for her evil actions, even though they show that she was... You can understand why she did it. For Sleeping Beauty, they take the exact opposite tact as Maleficent did, and they make her the most utterly irredeemable person you can possibly think of. And it works so well. I I think that it really, that series as a whole, rides the line of having... Uh, the misunderstood villains and then having the just utterly evil villains that you want to be destroyed right and whenever you have them contrasted like in book one and book two it actually makes the true evil of the second villain the one who can't be redeemed hit so much harder because you're expecting some form of redeemable aspect and they, they give they give uh esmia is her name uh Maleficent the Maleficent character her name is Esmia they give her a tragic backstory too and they say no you don't get to go around and enslave the entirety of the land of stories right twice that's not something you get to do right <clears throat> and I think that's an excellent book it's an excellent book series that kind of shows the best of the redeemable villain aspect and not the worst so I, I just wanted to throw that out there as far as it goes
0: yeah so why we've said you don't want to do that well, let's talk about why why don't you want to do uh, maleficent or joaquin phoenix's joker regardless of whatever you think about the film why do we not want to mm-hmm. be making those sort of villains
5: do, do we argue that Joker makes him the uh, makes him the hero I haven't seen or it or I haven't he seen it
0: like I, I, us? I, I haven't seen it. I just know that generally speaking um we've been moving the Joker into a category of glorious bastard where he is <clears throat> railing against how actually clowny society is compared to how how sane he's acting, even though he's crazy, right? Like, I've been seeing more and more of that over the years. say there's been... No, go on.
5: It it seems like that's the cultural narrative, specifically in the internet sphere, like the red pill people, because...
3: Black pill people. Of course it
5: is. (laughs) Yeah, it is black pill.
3: I I would argue not the red pill people, actually, because this is a form... No, not even or red, red, black, whatever, whatever pill you want to take. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's them that are saying that. Oh, it's Joker who is the sane one because what is Joker always railing against? Mm-hmm. It's the system, it's the culture, it's whatever. Joker's a cultural Marxist in yep. a way. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. He
3: is. He is. Maybe this is co- okay. Maybe this is part of where, where I'm coming from. Like you know, going to uh, college. Um, going, you know, growing up in uh, public school, then going to college. I was into anime. I was into video games. Where do you think that landed me? Right. You know, amongst mm-hmm. the nerds, amongst the geeks, and adjacent to the nerds and the geeks. It's not that hard of a, not that large of a step. You get into the, um, and and D and D and all that stuff all of this, mm-hmm. you get this community insulated that is considered sort of like weird and out there. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, then anyone else who's considered weird and out there gets lumped in with them or is easy, easy for them to infiltrate. This is why D and D subculture is so alphabet soup. And I hate it. Um, same mm-hmm. thing with video games, same thing with anime, especially with, you know, it doesn't help that there are anime tropes involved with that and all that jazz. Um, I feel like a lot of those people they are the ones who like Joker, Harley Quinn, um Poison Ivy, uh basically any Fair female enough. basically any female villain but also Joker because he yeah. represents he is the, he is a representation of what they want to do mm-hmm. but that yep. they can't. Right.
5: Fair enough. I I was completely forgetting the earlier internet fascination with Joker and Harley Quinn. I I, I forgot yeah. that that existed. Uh, I I was talking about specifically the stuff that happened with the Joker film, and the people yeah, who okay. yeah. the, the people who tended to go towards that. I completely forgot about the wider context going back farther. I I just well,
3: I, jumped on the internet whenever that happened, and I sure. was like, and I think that, that with the Joker you film, you might have a real. I think you have a real a real point there with the like the red and black pill, not because mm-hmm. of the character, mm-hmm. but because of the fact that it is it was portrayed on a traditional medium. Yep. That way. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um,
5: and, and that's kind of what and that's kind of what I was saying. I was saying that I think that the cultural narrative has shifted, but I don't think that that's actually reflected in the filmmaking of it, because. That there is no question in anybody's mind what Christopher Nolan thinks of Heath Ledger's Joker. Right. At all. Uh, it, it is about as black and white as it can get. Right. So that, that that that's where I was going with that. I think that it might be more of the way that the culture is looking at the character. I don't think the character has shifted all that much, though he might be being ready to shift.
0: Yeah with oh, films man.
5: like the joker making him the protagonist even though he is definitely the villain still. right
3: right <laughs> yeah and and so and that's that's a that's i know that you asked a question joshua and i will get to what i think the answer to that question is but i do think it is worth mentioning something sure joker might not have changed in the joaquin phoenix variation that could be a good mm-hmm. thing or a bad thing in maleficent i actually watched the original sleeping beauty she says, in the original Sleeping Beauty by Disney, Maleficent says on the 16th birthday, the girl will die. Will prick her finger mm-hmm. on a spinning wheel and die. Mm-hmm. And it takes one of the good fairies, which incidentally is my favorite, uh, to say, no, she won't die. She will be asleep. I can't mm-hmm. undo the curse entirely, but I can change the parameter mm-hmm. from death to sleep. And when she's asleep, I can provide a cure. In Maleficent, the movie with uh, Angelina Jolie, Maleficent is the one who says she will be put in a death-like sleep, mm-hmm. which is actually snow white language, not original language. Yep. so they tone they already toned down Maleficent's villainy for her own story to make her more or not as fire. Like she literally calls down hellfire in all
0: of the powers. Like, of hell! It's one of the best moments yeah. in Disney.
3: Honestly, it's there so go. good. <laughs> there you go. And, and I mean, and I was like, she was blatantly like, yeah, no, I'm for the forces of evil. She was very open about, she that calls herself the movie.
5: mistress of evil in the movie. Yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so like, I just want to point out, the culture like the like the stories i think you're right it's a cultural view of the character which is why having them be the protagonist is a problem i Mm -hmm. think but we also want to point out that they're also twisting the character Mm -hmm. in order to make them sympathetic Mm -hmm. both in terms of giving them a backstory and making their actions not quite as bad as the original
5: Mm -hmm. would we want to argue that that's kind of a uh either a byproduct or is that them trying to look at the consumers, viewing them as consumers and saying, no, no, you're right. You're, they're giving them what they want as opposed to giving them something out uh, that they think will be good. They're, they're trying to feed into the preconceived thoughts that they already have in the creation of that. Would you say that that's why they toned it down? Or do you think that they were just trying to tone it down in order to tell that story?
3: I do see why I can't be both, but my both, both. my my, my knee jerk <laughs> both 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 is good. My knee jerk reaction is that they felt is that if they did that, it's either because they felt guilty actually making such an evil character the good guy, or it's we need to give them this concession otherwise it won't otherwise it won't it won't sell, mm-hmm. right. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> Some of it could be that they genuinely believe that, like, you know, like tragic hero stories, you know, which is bit, sort of what these are in a way. Um, tragic, it's, it's, yeah, they're, tra- they're trying, because they're the, well, tragic protagonist, not tragic hero, but still, that's because these people don't believe heroes exist. It's yeah. one of the rants that a lot of people have against Lord of the Rings is that they, like, I, don't want to get into that. Anyway, um <laughs> uh because I disagree with it, but that's beside the point. Um the 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 so so what so to answer Joshua's original question, um do we think that the what why do we not like this? Do we think this is a bad thing? Should we avoid these? My general thought is yes. I think we should avoid them with a caveat. Um that caveat being, I like tragedies, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and sometimes there's a certain level of catharsis to watching a villain watching mm. a villain's origin story, in you know, a sense, yeah. right i don't necessarily mind having a villain origin story right i don't necessarily even mind us sitting watching the villain origin story and have at having there be a certain level of sympathy and empathy for the villain Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but what we need to do is we need to make sure that we do what arcane did i'm going back to arcane because i think it's a really good show gosh darn it and despite you understanding what the villain did or what this character does who ultimately becomes a villain as she falls into villainy and despite seeing her and empathizing and understanding you still weep that she became a villain because she made a choice because she made a choice well yeah she made it yes and actually yeah that's a good point she made a choice to be a villain and and the fact that she became a villain is part of the tragedy of the story it's not her being a girl boss right and going to heck with the system right if the story is i'm going i was
0: just i was just gonna say with i haven't seen arcane but i know Mm -hmm. just based on your description that she made a choice because i know when a villain resonates as a villain it's because they made a choice to do the wrong thing just like a hero makes a choice to do the right thing. That's what makes them a hero. That's, that's what's, that's what's great about Of Sam made the whole speech in Lord of the Rings about mm-hmm. that. Right. It's making yeah. the choice to go on, you know, uh, and, and Rocky makes the speech. Every you know, everyone knows this about the hero, but we forget it about the villain. This is the thing that made Regis Blaggard so amazing in adventures and Odyssey is he 100% said many, many times, Uh, But especially at the, at his end, at his downfall, I choose this. Mm -hmm. I, this is, this is my choice and there is nothing anyone can do to stop me. Um, I've read, Mm -hmm. I've read Invictus on this podcast before uh, the poem. uh, I can't remember the, 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 the name of the guy who did it, but look it up. The guy wrote this, like, I don't remember if it was on his deathbed or not, but he was, he was not well when he wrote it. Have you guys heard Invictus?
5: I have heard you read it. I could not recite any of it, though.
0: I, I, might, I might as well bring well. it up. This is, this is the poem that I, William Ernst Henley. I go back to this poem whenever I am creating a villain. And when I say a villain, I mean a villain, not an antagonist, right? Because there are antagonists mm-hmm. who are just bullies who are, you yep. know, uh, uh, th- 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 they're on the wrong side of things, but they could be redeemed, right? This isn't right. evil okay Um, so this is this this poem is evil okay and only it's only evil in the viewpoint of a christian so some people hear this and they get excited about it and they think of the wonderfulness of the human spirit and that's what makes this so evil out of the night that covers me black as the pit from pole to pole i thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul in the fell clutch of circumstance i have not winced nor cried aloud under the bludgeonings of chance my head is bloody but unbowed beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid it matters not how straight the gate how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That is a villain. That is the heart of a villain.
5: Two things. Mm-hmm. Number one, the capitalization of horror in the third stanza mm-hmm. is frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, really frightening number two that's just my way by frank sinatra
0: oh it is it is without all the fun horn section and everything else mm-hmm. yeah absolutely
5: which sucks because that song sounds great oh but it does, it does. does. yeah it, that's that's all that that is that mm-hmm. that is just my way uh with, with all the that's fun
0: the, my, band my way is the is, my way is the inglorious bastard
3: yep well, the, yeah yeah so one last thing about choice what are Frodo's lines in Mount Doom? I have come, but I do, but I do not choose to do what I've come here to do. Yep. The ring is mine. Yep. And then he puts it on. Mm-hmm. They cut that out. Frodo and... acknowledges in his end when he fails his quest and he succumbs and becomes a villain temporarily. Yep, mm-hmm. very temporary villain, but technically, in a very, very broadest of sense, he says, "I do not choose." Mm-hmm. He is making the choice to not throw the ring into the fire, and he acknowledges that. So, yep. And mm. and the Lord succumb-
0: you know, Rings is so good. And and he is succumbing to the power of the ring, but he is also making a choice. He mm-hmm. is finally broken, but it's also his choice. And that's what is so tragic about it and I think that's the thing more than the morgul blade that ultimately has broken him to the point where he says I need healing where I can't get it anywhere else. Because he knows what knows what he became, you know? Um that's that's oh crazy, crazy. Yeah, I I wanted to go a slight different direction on this just a touch. Um the, there were two things I wanted to mention. One, uh, I think a lot is made of the villain and the hero, especially uh, one of the big examples lately has been Batman and the Joker and how um, they even have these sort of meta discussions about how there's like a yin and yang kind of a thing. I don't believe in yin and yang, of course, but the fact is there's good and there's evil and there's always a pull and uh, uh, And as far as that goes, um, I think that we forget when we create a a lot of people who create great villains, forget to create great heroes and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And you really, really, really need to focus on both in order to have a great story. Um, God, look at him created Satan. To be the villain of the story, mm-hmm. and he's done pretty well at his job. That's all I can say. He's very, very evil, and he made a lot of great heroes, but he made them great, and he made sure mm-hmm. to sh- to take all the credit and the and and the and of for the goodness that came from the creation that he set up. And Brendan falls out. Oh dear! <clears throat> so he'll come back. He'll come back round. I'll wait on my next part.
5: What, what what's that thing that you put up whenever uh, I had to jump off in the first episode I, don't I was on?
0: I don't remember what did I put.
5: <laughs> I don't remember. It was it was something about the goblins are attacking. Please hold. Yeah,
0: something
3: like that. Yeah. Hey, you're back. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, my computer decided it wanted to commit Sudoku. I mean Sudoku.
7: Anyway, continue.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I I finished up that thought
0: uh, for the most part. Basically, just um that you need heroes and villains and you should not sure. work on one at the exclusion of the other. Um, one is the... this Marvel's problem? It is Marvel's problem, but it's also, um, it's also DC's problem. Well, DC from Nolan time period. It's problem in a lot of ways. I think that while Christian Bale's Batman was really, really good, they really focused on the villains in those movies. Um, and uh, not so much in the first one, but in, in in the further ones they definitely
3: yeah. did um, They, they hyper focused on the vil- they hyper focused on the villains and they removed any supernatural from the story right
0: right um, yeah so so basically the the, the, the the point that I'm making can really be summed up well this was moving into my second point um, so I'm gonna use wrestling as an example here and give you guys a little bit of a, a, a very short lesson in the ways things have gone up and down over the years when show business started really getting into wrestling people knew that it was uh scripted and all this other kinds of stuff um there were two main companies and things started to get really interesting and different and weird there was wwf uh, keep in mind there were tons of territories and stuff but two main companies were coming to the top wwf or wwe and wcw wcw was owned by ted turner And then Vince McMahon with WWF. Anyway, um, WCW took over during the 90s for an extended run when they had arguably the best roster of good guys that you could ever ask for. They had good villains too, but their good guys were um, bad, awesome, just really top-notch wrestlers who were uh who who often didn't say very much their their chief guy was known uh sting was known for almost never speaking he played basically at this this non-speaking crow style character like the crow from the movies and the comics and um he was one of the chief ones another one was goldberg who basically all uh he, he he would say stuff when asked and he would talk to people and interact with people but his main thing was just saying you're next and he was more action than speaking right so they started getting this sort of thing happening and, and the good guys who could speak spoke in ways that were quick-witted and got to the point and they did and they, they were really really good at that WWF, meanwhile, during the 90s, was giving us characters like Duke of the Dumpster Drozzy. And everyone was a, a, a big joke on the good guy side. You had your evil villains, and there were a couple really good evil villains that just had swagger, and they were awesome. And people started cheering the villains and booing the good guys, because the good guys weren't any good. You know? <laughs> they were they were bumbling idiots that were they were trying to form as underdogs. But people were like, no, I'm not interested in that. I want to see Carnage, right? (laughs) And I think the Mm -hmm. same thing happens in superheroes. I think the same thing happens in other places. And eventually, what was the thing that broke WWF above WCW? It was two characters, The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin. The Rock turned from a bad guy to a good guy. And Stone Cold Steve Austin became a good guy because, uh, well, he was a bad guy for a little while, but what happened was they created a story where Vince McMahon, uh, he, he got injured, and Vince McMahon said, okay, you're injured, you can't defend your title, go home and get better. And he wanted to stay and fight and work, and he wasn't allowed so they turned Vince McMahon into his main, you know, it's it's the working man against the suit, right? And that was the thing that made them get the rise over WCW, and WCW's bad business practices ultimately led to their collapse, right? So, and I could talk more about that another time, but it's it's just, I see that everywhere. Even in wrestling today, we still have problems with that, where Vince McMahon doesn't know how to create good guys that are compelling. He never really has. He knows how to make villains that everyone hates. And wants to see their keisters get beat. And he actually knows how to make people hate bad guys. But he doesn't know how to make people love good guys. I is see that, that
5: because he himself is not a good guy?
3: I think so. But that's
0: my personal so, opinion.
3: <laughs> so so I watched a video about a cartoon show called like My Adventures of Superman. Mm-hmm. And I had originally thought that this was the show where they turned Superman gay. No, they just made Lois an extreme tomboy, so I didn't recognize her as a she. Um, okay. But um, the main point of the video is that, like, Zack Snyder and all these other people think that Superman is stupid because he's... Um, because he's too good, that the, the fact that the Superman isn't like doing all this stuff, and they miss the point of Superman right as a mm-hmm. character. And what he was saying was this show actually gets Superman right. Mm. And he was actually pleasantly surprised because even though there was some woke nonsense, it's there was actually a lot of like there were, Lois is not a Mary Sue, mm-hmm. interestingly enough and um superman is still superman himself he does the right thing because it's the right thing to do and what you know it's so and so it's just interesting that like you mentioned like you know people don't know how to write heroes it's like yeah that's probably true um some heroes like you know some heroes need to be heroic and i'm sure that there's a but, you know, again, going back to the argument of, people, of why people didn't like the Lord of the Rings movie, talking about Aragorn not being a confident hero character, I'm mm. sitting here going, yeah, but think of the context that the country is in and that the world is in. Could you imagine if how people would think if a politician showed up and said, I am going to be president because it is my duty and responsibility and divine right <laughs> yeah, we would all freak the heck out.
0: We kind of halfway so that, that, that did worked. with the well I was going to say with with uh with even though he didn't say it in those those terms he said it in very terms. Hu- huge terms. Um he huge ki- term. he he yeah. ki- he kind of did that sort of thing a little bit in, yeah. in his own words. Um yeah. but but the fact is like uh, not only do we not know what it's like to be a hero but we know too much what it's like to be a villain which is why we're getting these misunderstood stories and the last thing that i uh, really yeah. want to get at in this whole thing um on my mental yeah. list here uh but we can talk however long we need to on this is this is why it is so important i'm talking to you artists that are listening and artists adjacents like alex the deal is this we do have some amount of us, of those that don't have delusions of grandeur, of God-given talent. But that does not make you special. You are still a human being. You are not some elite class... Of, I know, right? <laughs> you are not some elite class of artist that is misunderstood by the rest of the world. They might misunderstand you. They might misunderstand your intentions, but it is not their job to fully glean your intentions from your argument. It is your job to make better arguments. Mm-hmm. and and to be clear yeah. as you can to the people who cannot understand your metaphors and high flutin imagery and whatever else that you're using to try to describe what you're trying to describe this is my problem i don't know if you listen to the stories or soul food today alex um but this this I was not listen to today's. you need to listen yes. to today's because they go into uh, both Andy wilson and my issue with christopher nolan And that Mm -hmm. is, uh, and he doesn't have a major issue with him. uh, He says he's a great filmmaker, all this other kind of stuff. But he makes his movies, first and foremost, as, uh, to to use a a sort of pretentious phrase, communion with his own art. Yep. As opposed to, I'm making this for an audience. Mm Mm-hmm. There's a level of selfishness in what he does that isn't necessarily wrong, Mm -hmm. but turns me off because I'm constantly thinking of the people that I'm making it for. And that's not me being Mm -hmm. morally superior or selfless to him. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying this particular thing bugs me because of these reasons. And mm-hmm. I know people who like Nolan. Um, I, I'm friends with a lot of people who are obsessed with Nolan. Right. But I, I can't get into him because of that. Um, not everything. Some of the stuff, you know, I like, but you mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying. So this yeah. is this love, this kind of thing. Whereas Spielberg, for example, Spielberg is the, uh, the utter opposite, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm just going to make as many cool, awesome things as I can before I die and make mm-hmm. try to make it so that people will love it, right? Um, yeah. and, and it's very much for the audience. So I tend towards Spielberg. That's what I prefer. That's an artist mm-hmm. thing. I'm not talking about artists and their art. I'm talking about art and people because people can take that attitude, the Nolan attitude, and direct it at the people who just yep. don't get it.
2: And that's the
0: thing that I'm telling you guys right now. The reason we have these stories of the maleficence is because of folks who actually believe their own hype so much as artists that they put themselves in a separate category from the rest of humanity, as opposed Mm -hmm. to anyone can cook like Ratatouille. Mm -hmm. Right? And so... Now, can anyone make a great meal? No. But a great meal can come from anywhere. That's the whole point of Ratatouille. That's the whole point of what I'm trying to get at right here. And so, yeah. Anyway. When
5: did Ratatouille came out in 2007? Yep. Okay. Whenever. Uh, Brendan's got stuff. Two things. <laughs> <laughs>
0: two,
5: two, yeah. two things. Um, yep. First is in case there are any Christopher Nolan fans out there who are just not seeing what Joshua is saying about that. Cause I, I like Christopher Nolan, but in case there are any of you out there, uh, Christopher Nolan specifically, uh, mastered the audio for the movie Tenet. Yeah. Tenet, yep. Only be good to, to only be legible in high quality theaters, right? Not high quality home theaters, not theaters, high quality theaters. IMAX theaters are the only place where you can get the actually good mix for the movie Tenet that's what he's talking that's what Joshua is talking about he is talking about the fact that he is making it specifically for the highest quality experience ever and that makes for really good movie watching if you can get that experience most people can't right that's what he's talking about the second thing is whenever you're talking about people are able to take that I'm making art for art's sake I want to make something good no matter what and then directing that towards the people my immediate thought is Steve jobs. Yeah. Because that's what jobs, that's what jobs entire philosophy was. Mm-hmm. I want to make something good. I'm not trying to make something that people want. Right. I'm trying to show them what they want because it's good.
0: Right. And, uh, th- and that, that, that can apply towards the people. And that can apply to someone who is trying to make something for an audience too. I think exactly. Lewis struggled with this, with the space trilogy. Um, I mm-hmm. think that, that when yeah. he created a, uh, a, uh, out of the silent planet it was more nolan-esque and then he tried mm-hmm. to give them a little bit more in and then he actually but he went too far spielberg in a lot of ways uh uh and and he gave the exact right amount in that hideous strength i think mm-hmm. uh, he he gave the, he gave everyone something that they could consume and enjoy mm-hmm. but it was also everything he wanted to say
5: so. But that but that was Lewis everywhere. I mean, uh, Barfield's adage is uh what Lewis believed about everything could be can, could be found in what he said about anything. Mm-hmm. In every single thing that Lewis wrote, you can say, "Oh, yeah. That leads to this, that leads to this, and doors are open, I know Lewis's entire philosophy." Right.
0: And that's what in I think people should aim Every single thing to that be. he did. That's what I think people should yeah. aim to be, is not Spielberg or Nor- Nolan, but Lewis. <laughs> anyway, yeah. uh Brendan, go with what you're saying.
3: No, I'm just...
0: Did I hurt your feelings? <laughs> uh,
3: I I I agree with you in the sense that... Well, I agree and disagree with you about Nolan. I'm not a super huge Nolan fan. I like his work, but I'm not like a diehard, oh my gosh, it's Christopher Nolan, I must watch his stuff. It is so amazing. No, that's me with Peter Jackson. Um, <laughs> but the... uh. i I see what you mean and i agree with you that nolan is making art for himself in a sense right he is doing his own thing and but i think where nolan falls flat is that he's out of touch with the average viewer right and so it's like and that's where the tenant line comes in it's like we are only mixing for the best quality theaters and it's like Mm -hmm. okay marie antoinette let them eat cake Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it's like that's that's the issue there but as someone who has artistic tendencies i would hesitate to call myself an artist but as someone with artistic tendencies fine
0: it's fine it's a label go with it um uh
3: i understand the level of introspection and level of desire of self in order to get anything done Mm -hmm. and so And I also, and I am more, you are more on the Spielberg side, Joshua. I'm more on the Nolan side. I would much rather do the Steve Jobs of create something good and hand it to you and say, you want this. You don't know you want it yet, but you want this. (laughs) uh, But that's the thing. Nolan doesn't say, you don't know you want this yet. He goes... This is the greatest thing ever, and if you can't appreciate it, that's your problem. Right. Yep. <laughs> yes. And it's like, there's a huge difference in communication. But, you know.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so you say I'm you Spielberg, know,
0: it, but I also have a uh, rhyming pro wrestling series. So, I mean, <laughs> I have my <laughs> Nolan-esque side, too. But like you said, I don't sit yeah. there and go, well, you just don't get it pro wrestling and poetry and i i shouldn't even explain this to you you plebeian (laughs) Yeah.
3: yeah 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 exactly yeah so so it seems as if we have more of an issue of and actually tying it back to the original topic we have more an issue of how the package is presented rather than necessarily with the package itself yep and that's sort of what we mentioned earlier with the um with the it's not telling these characters stories it's bad it's how the character stories are presented and what mm-hmm. and and what that is and how that is perceived by the culture right mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. So, it's,
5: yep. it's the entire concept of editing is everything you, you can take up and edit it to be a horror movie
3: as as an editor i thoroughly agree with this <laughs> yes
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> Well, I'm yeah, also exactly. I'm an editor in everything that I do. It's 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 kind of funny, but like also I live edit and I perf- I performance edit all the time. I'm always changing, you know, like little tweaks and things and here and there and whatever else. And that's part of the fun of creation. Ooh, what will what the more you if fix I do the this? performance? Right. Mm-hmm.
3: The more you fix, the more you fix in production, the less you have to fix in post.
0: Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's all yep. time and pipelines, and it's so much fun. But, uh, yeah, this has been a good conversation. I'm going to wrap this episode here. Uh, Everybody be your family's bard. Do not turn to the right or to the left, and the Lord will be with you wherever you go. Don't be a villain. Be a hero. We'll see you next time in the trenches on Poets at War.